Good evening and welcome to episode 18 of the Dollar Dogs and Beer podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and joining me tonight is both Jason and Joe. How are you doing tonight, guys? Doing okay, Andrew. How about you? Uh, I'm doing really well. It was a beautiful week for the Braves. Uh, Jason, how about your week? Uh, my week outside of baseball was pretty good. Um, weekend ended on a good note, at least. So, yeah, over- overall, I'm doing all right. Currently tonight, I have a Sour Monkey by Victory Brewing because I'm a bit sour about the last two weeks because the Phils have definitely come crashing back down to earth. Yeah, it wasn't a good two-week stretch for the Phillies, that's for sure. Uh, Joe, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a beer Mango Cart by Golden Road Brewing out of L.A. It's a mango wheat ale. Uh, trying to do what you did last week. You had a mango blue moon, and your Braves had a good week, so maybe my Cubs will do the same. Um, mango card is delicious. Yeah, yeah, mixing it up a little bit, see if it see if it changes things. Yeah, yeah, old steady hasn't been working out too well. Just trying to run with either Yingling or Miller High Life lately, so it's worth the kick in the pants to try and change things around. Um, tonight, guys, I'm drinking a Voodoo Ranger V2K IPA out of, uh, from the uh, New Belgium Brewing Company. It is an IPA that has uh, some grapefruit and guava. It's a tropical IPA. It's actually very good, and as anybody who knows me knows, IPAs are not my favorite thing in the world. This is actually one of the better ones I've had, though. All right, so we're going to get started with Atlanta. They stayed quite hot this past week with the double sweep. First, they swept the Marlins. The Braves' bats came alive in Game 1, and they pounded the Marlins 12-2. to Travis Darno and Jorge Soler each had a pair of doubles, along with one from Riley. Freddie Freeman had a three-run home run. Duvall smashed a two-run homer that not only made it to the concourse in the second level, but it dented the souvenir stand it hit. Uh, Tuki Toussaint, he's always pitched really well against the Marlins for Atlanta, and he did so again that game. He went six and a third, three hits, two earned runs, two walks, seven strikeouts, and only two home runs allowed. They were both solo shots, and they were from uh, Diaz and Jazz Chisholm. And the Braves, the RBIs were well spread. They had them from Darno, Freeman, Duvall, Albies, and Swanson, so it was good to see uh, multiple bats come alive in that one. Game two was a much tighter matchup. The Braves took that one two to nothing. Waskar Yanoa came off the IL, and he faced Atlanta's favorite nemesis, Sandy Alcantara. Um, Yanoa honestly pitched really well. Five and a third innings, three hits, didn't allow a run, one walk, and four strikeouts. Uh, They pulled him after 80 pitches, you know, first game back off the IL. Makes perfect sense. Um, Yanoa also stayed hot at the plate. He went one for two. Um, Alcantara, he pitched fantastic, honest to God. He went eight innings, five hits, only allowed one earned run, a walk, and seven strikeouts. And that only run was an RBI single that he allowed to Solaire, which I believe was in the eighth inning. Um, Riley also had a solo home run in the ninth for an insurance run, and Will Smith had a perfect 1-2-3 ninth for his 26th save. And then in game three, the Braves won that one 11-9, and it wasn't close for most of the game, so the uh, final score is a bit deceiving for how that game went. Uh, Freddie Freeman had an amazing game. He became the first player in Braves history to hit for the cycle twice. Um, He had the double in the first inning, a triple in the fourth, a single in the fifth, and then his 27th home run of the season in the sixth. It was the seventh cycle in Braves history. Uh, For the series, Freddie did what he always does against Florida and beat them up pretty good. He went nine for 13 total. Charlie Morton had a fantastic start. He went six innings, only allowed three hits, two earned runs, one walk, nine strikeouts. Morton didn't allow a hit until the first out in the fifth. And Riley stayed hot as well. He went three for five. He scored two runs and had two RBIs. 
Uh, Adam Duvall had three RBIs as well, two of which came on bases loaded walks. And in that game, guys, the Marlins walked 12 hitters as a team, and that tied a franchise record for a nine-inning game. Five of those walks occurred with the bases loaded. I mean, the Marlins basically did everything they could to give this game to Atlanta. Uh, the Braves had an 11-3 lead going into the ninth before Josh Tomlin had an utter implosion. He allowed a total of five earned runs in two-thirds of an inning, which uh, forced Will Smith, who was basically probably halfway into the clubhouse, into the shower, to be called in on short notice. He actually did give up a two-run home run before he struck out Alex Jackson to end the game. So I, you don't like to see the home run there, but this wasn't a, wasn't a time he should have been brought in anyway. So I can kind of understand it not being a save, being a literal emergency, get in there because we're about to implode completely. You know, that's going to happen. I really hope Atlanta gets rid of Tomlin soon. He has been absolutely awful this season. And then after the Marlins series, uh, Atlanta continued this road trip and went to Baltimore to one of the most beautiful ballparks in the entire league, and they swept the Orioles. Game one of the series was a 3 to nothing Atlanta win. Max Freed threw a complete game Maddox shutout. The Maddox shutout occurs when you throw a complete game shutout in 100 pitches or less, and Freed did that in, um, I believe, 89 or 90 pitches. His line was nine innings, four hits, no runs, no walks, and four strikeouts. He threw 18 out of 29 first-pitch strikes, and the defense also turned two double plays behind him. So, guys, Max Fried will probably get NL Pitcher of the Month for August. He went 4-0 with a .67 ERA. The Braves' runs came on a two-run home run from Darno and a solo shot from Solaire. With that win, the Braves matched a modern-era single-season franchise record with their 11th consecutive road win. The last time that happened was in 1956 when the team was based in Milwaukee. This was Baltimore's 16th straight loss, its second longest since moving from St. Louis in 1954, and that's topped only by the 1988 team that started the season 0-21. Uh, during this losing streak, the Orioles have been outscored 141-42, to and it's left Baltimore with the worst record in the majors thanks to the uh, Diamondbacks sweeping the Phillies. Trey Mancini went 2-for-3 with a double for the Orioles, and uh, first baseman Ryan Mountcastle extended his career-high hitting streak to 12 games. In Game 2, Atlanta won a close one 5-4. Drew Smiley's continued his strong run of starts since the end of April. He's 7-0 over the last 14 starts since uh, April 30th. In this game, he went 5 innings, 5 hits, 3 earned runs, no walks, 8 strikeouts, 3 solo home runs. I mean, the home run numbers do need to come down, but, you know, he was able to at least keep them as solo shots. It was his ninth victory of the season. Matt Harvey ended up losing his 13th game of the season. He went five and a third, seven hits, four and runs, a walk, five strikeouts, and two home runs allowed. Jock Peterson and Austin Riley each hit homers off Harley. I'm sorry, off Harvey. Uh, Solaire had a huge sack fly in the ninth, which was a critical run as Will Smith did give up a solo home run, but held on to his to the uh, save for his 27th. Uh, Santander hit two homers for the Orioles and Mountcastle and Urias also added solo shots. And then on Sunday, Atlanta completed the sweep with a 3-1 victory. Tukey once again pitched really well. Five in the third innings, five hits, one earned run, three walks, five strikeouts. Uh, Atlanta took on Oriole ace John Means, and he actually pitched really well despite taking the loss. He went six innings, four hits, three earned runs, two walks, five strikeouts, only one home run allowed. Both defenses played really well. The Braves turned three double play. The Orioles turned two. Um, all the scoring happened in the fourth inning. Solaire hit a solo home run, Duvall had a two-RBI double, and Urias had an RBI double while driving home Mancini. 
Atlanta's staff struck out 12 hitters collectively. Will Smith picked up his 28th save of the season. And at the end of the series, guys, the Orioles dropped their 18th straight game. It's now the longest in the major league since Kansas City dropped 19 in a row in 2005. It's only the third time during this streak the Orioles lost by two runs or fewer. And then the Braves set a new franchise record winning 13 straight road games. And they also, in the last game, they stopped Mount Castle's hitting streak at 13, which is a new career high for him. So, you know, I, I know the competition wasn't great. It's still hard to win that many games on the road consecutively in the majors. Without a doubt. It, it was uh, something that it's a great week for Atlanta, a great road trip for Atlanta. Um I would have, the, with how hot Atlanta is, I would have been disappointed if they didn't sweep the Orioles the way that the Orioles are playing. Yeah, um, me too. So, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, the Braves did what they needed to do while they're playing the teams that they need to beat. They, they got the wins that they absolutely had to get. Right. When you're playing lower-level opponents, you need to sweep or you need to take two out of three. You cannot afford to drop and take one of two or get swept by these lower-level competition teams. That's what trips you up. That's what sends you farther back in the standings. Yeah, and I think what was really good about this week is, other than that that Tomlin appearance against the Marlins, the, the Brave bullpen has really was excellent this last week. Um, you know, the fact that they had 22 opportunities with runners in scoring position in that first game against Miami, that was incredible. Uh, Max Freed again, 90 pitches in that game. So, I mean, yeah, the Braves did what they had to do last week. Yep, and then one injury update, guys. Um, on Wednesday last week, Ian Anderson threw 70 pitches in his third rehab start. Um, Snicker called it the best of the three he's had so far. Uh, Jason, Joe, and I talked about it a little bit last week. Both Yanoa and Anderson have been getting a little scuffed up on their uh, rehab starts. But not, neither of us are really worried about it because in a rehab start, you're just focusing on a few things. You're not going in with a full game plan like you would for a regular game. Plus, minor leaguers with a chance to tee off on a major league level pitcher, you know, they're going to be aggressive. So we're, neither of us was particularly worried. And Hawaskar, you know, looked good in his first start back against Alcantara. So. Yeah, a lot of times with those rehab starts, the pitchers are they're trying to get their timing back down, making sure their mechanics are back, while also just kind of feeling out whatever it is that they've injured you know if it's a shoulder if it's an arm they're paying more attention to the pain level things like that so yeah getting roughed up in in a uh, rehab start is not the end of the world yeah agreed all right joe how about the cubs let's talk about these cubs um when we did pick them last week i was i said all right, they're going to get swept by the Reds and maybe pick up a game or two against Kansas City, and boy, was I wrong. <laughs> they got swept by the Royals and picked up two out of three from the Reds in Cincinnati, which it boggles my mind. Uh, game one, blowout for the Reds. They won 14-5. to Jonathan India hit a home run and had five RBIs. Miley for the Reds has continued to pitch well. He went seven innings, four hits, no runs, a walk, seven strikeouts, has 10th win. Joey Votto continues to play hot and hit hot. He hit his 2,000th career hit in Game 1. Votto became the second Major League player to get his 2,000th hit, 300th home run, and 1,000th RBI in the same season. The last person to do that was Hall of Famer Billy Williams, who did it for the Cubs in 1971. So that's kind of fitting for them. 
Uh, Votto also joins Johnny Bench as the only Cub with a Red with 2,000 hits and 300 homers. And his 26 homers this year are the, his most since he hit 36 in 2017. So uh, we, we've talked about some guys with the Fountain of Youth this year in, in San Francisco. And, and Joey Votto has hit the Fountain of Youth in Cincinnati this year so far. Uh, Aristides Equino and Tucker Barnhart also slammed two-run homers in that game. Justin Steele made his second career start. Uh, going only four, He went four innings, five hits, two runs, three walks, five strikeouts, one home run. I'm not too disappointed with that. Again, they're, they're kind of seeing what they have with some of these other guys. And he, he gave up those two runs, I think, um, in the fourth inning. So I'm not too upset about that. I think he's continuing to pitch well and continuing to impress. Hayward and Happ each had an RBI double. Um, and I th- the Cubs and the Reds were equal in runners in scoring position. So it wasn't terrible, I think. Um, the, the sticking point for me is, is Rucker out of the bullpen in this game. Two innings, four hits, six runs. Two walks and four strikeouts. It's just not going to do it. Um, and, and the bullpen, which had been really a strong suit for the Cubs, is just not that anymore. Um, game two, the Cubs end their losing streak. Uh, as the professor, Kyle Hendricks, is on the mound in game two. Has his, the MLB leading 14th win after this game. Six innings, three hits, one earned run, three walks, three strikeouts, one home run. Threw 94 pitches in this game, so I, you know he got a good, a good showing, a good quality start out of him. Uh, Gutierrez also pitched well for the Reds, going six and a third, nine hits, two runs, a walk, seven strikeouts, a home run. And Gutierrez had won his last four starts. Uh, I think what's He's kind of becoming my new favorite. Um, I, I thought it would take a while for me to have one. But uh, Frank Schwindel had an RBI double in the third. Sixth straight game with an extra base hit. Uh, his line going after the last week, 333, 400, 556. Nine hits, three runs, three RBIs, and three walks. So, you know, he's having a really good – he had a really good week last week. His last two weeks – it's 365, 421, 573, 19 hits, 3 home runs, 12 RBIs, 5 walks. So he's really seeing the ball well, and he's showing a lot of energy and passion, which is what you need right now if you're a Cub fan. So I'm really impressed by him and his energy. Ian Happ, homer to right field, leading off the sixth. It was one of his three hits on the day. The Romine brothers became the first pair of brothers to start a game for the Cubs in the modern era. They didn't. You know, one didn't pitch to the other this time, but it's still nice to have the brothers playing together uh, for the Cubs on the north side. Cody Hewer picked up his first save of the year. He's looked really good. I'm really happy with that acquisition with the, the trade with uh, the White Sox. He's really been impressive. I've really been impressed with his arm and his ability to, to locate and, and bring the heat out of the bullpen. Game three, the Cubs win their first series since July 25th, and they won this game 7-1. to Michael Hermosillo homered for the first time since 2018. Uh, he's a lifetime Cub fan, and so he gets to play for the Cubs now. He had a homer in his, I think it was his first start for them there in game three. So that's really fun to watch him and, and to, to see what he's, again, he's another guy bringing some energy, bringing some passion uh, to the game there on the north side. 
Ian Happ and Sergio Alcantara also went deep. So Ian Happ has having, had a pretty good week. Um, and if I have to say it again, Ian, you should go back to Iowa. Because <laughs> it worked in the beginning of the year. Might as well bring that one back. Uh, Schwindel and Ortega also drove in runs, runs for the Cubs. Schwindel, again, just this six hits in a series with the Reds. I think he went two for four every day of that every game of that series. So I'll take it. Uh, I think he was hitting 329 in that series. The Cubs jumped on Tyler Mail in that last game, handing him his fourth loss of the season as he gave up five runs, eight hits, and five innings. Sampson was a – this is his first start, I think, for the Cubs. Um, he, he was just a, a recent call-up. Only gave up one run in four innings. So, again, they're, they're getting an idea of what they've got um, – you know, going forward here. Interesting stat. The, the Reds, as we mentioned, they scored 14 runs in game one. The runs in this series, the Cubs had 14 runs and the Reds had 16. After scoring 14 on, on Monday. So that's, you know, a, a couple of, you know, non-walks and non-doubles and non-home runs. And this is a, a different series and maybe a sweep. Um... And then the Cubs went back to Wrigley, which is not so friendly these days. Uh, they've lost 13 in a row there. They might be on their way to 14 tonight as they're down 3 nothing already. But they lost three in this series to the Royals at home. Davies, this guy drives me crazy. <laughs> One day he has a good start, and the next day he's terrible. He gave up four home runs in six innings along with five strikeouts. I don't understand... All of a sudden, now he's letting these guys pitch that aren't aren't productive. It's I mean I guess there's no no real reason to worry about it, but I, I'm just not impressed, and I, I hope he finds somewhere else to go um, in the off season. Royal starter Brad Keller went six innings, four hits, two runs, one earned, one walk, and eight strikeouts and a home run. Sal Perez hit two home runs. He's been really hot, I think, the the second half here. Mm-hmm. So that's been good for them. Emmanuel Rivera hit his first career homer. Andrew Benatendi and Cam Gallagher also connected. I believe is Gallagher a kid from Manheim Township? Uh, Cam Gallagher. Cam Gallagher. Yeah, Cam Gallagher. Yep, Manheim Township grad. So wow. he, a, a local local uh, Manheim Township grad, Cam Gallagher hit a home run in this series. We should give him a like the podcast. <laughs> See if we can do that. Uh, the Royals are last in the American League in home runs with 124. So. They did have a productive series against the Cubs, but they're still in that position. Patrick Wisdom homered in the third, so he had 19 homers at this point in the weekend. Um, you know, so again, they're they're having some success a little bit, but again, some of these pitchers like Davies is just I don't I don't understand that. I don't understand why he's there. I don't understand why Rossi just lets him go now. I don't know why he lets him go, but who else do they really have? Right. I mean, they would have they would have Trevor Williams if Zach Davies had pitched well before the deadline. But <laughs> that's true. Um, anyway, so game two, the Royals won this game four to two. Uh, Chris Bubik hit, carried a no hitter into the seventh inning, and this was a bounce back start from him. He gave up seven runs in an inning in the third the previous week against the Cardinals. So this was a good start for Bubik. That was interrupted by a delay for a storm that really never developed which i feel so bad for him because he was pitching so well and then this 
rain delay happens and he loses a no-hitter right after it. Uh, Whit Merrifield had three hits and stole home as part of a double steal. In this game, Nicky Lopez also had three hits and drove in a run. Benintendi finished with two hits. Again, there was the delay for 34 minutes due to a storm. Schwindel led off with the second walk in wisdom, followed with a drive into the bleachers for his 20th homer. He leads NL rookies at this point. Uh, Bubik's line, six and a third, one hit, two runs, two walks, nine strikeouts, a home run. So, again, you feel bad for him because if, if the rain delay doesn't happen, who knows how this game goes mm-hmm. for him. Uh, Keegan Thompson had a short outing in this one. He only went four, five hits, two runs, two walks, a strikeout. Royal stole four bases total for the game. Uh, you know, it, you're just kind of seeing what, what they have this year. It's a little hard to watch, but it's a little easier for me to just catch up on it rather than watch it because it gets just a little depressing. <laughs> um, game three was a 9-1 blowout. Royal starter Carlos Hernandez set a career high with eight strikeouts over seven innings uh, and gave up four hits. Alec Mills, after pitching really well the last couple weeks, got roughed up, giving up seven runs, six of which were earned over four innings. Ben Attendee had three RBIs on a three-for-fourth day with a double and two runs. And again, it's their record 13th consecutive loss at Wrigley, which I think, um, again, let before we came on, they were down 3 nothing already in the first. So it could be 14 by the end of the night. Um, so not a good week, really, for the Cubs. I, I just, I'm not really sure where to go with it. I mean, yeah, positives and negatives. Obviously, the Royals series was a complete flop. But taking two out of three from Cincinnati in Cincinnati... Uh, that's good. I, you know, you got to take the positives. Plus, you knocked off, you knocked back a playoff team too, or a playoff contending team, I should say. I think they're out of the wild card right now. But, you know, I, and I think you're going to see mixed weeks like that, just because of the nature of, you know, what's left with the Cubs after the trade deadline. What do you think, Jason? Yeah, I mean, while the week didn't end on a great note, it was definitely a good start to the week for them, and. Like you said, get um, Hendricks being the stopper there was huge. Uh, and it actually makes me very surprised and happy for Cubs fans that he ended up not being traded by the deadline because the Cubs were in major sell mode. And, you know, Joe, you said it here, you know, he's now leading the league in wins. So uh, great job by Hendricks and not the best week for the Cubs, but. Not the worst week either. Yeah, they had some wins. Yeah, I, they had more wins than I thought they would have. I thought they would might win one game last week, and they won two, so I can't really complain too much. Uh, what's really interesting, too, with Hendricks, like you said, he leads in the majors and wins, and they don't have anyone else close to that. So it's, it's just amazing how, um, you know, one pitcher just isn't enough, and they didn't have the offense earlier in the year. Uh, a couple injury updates on the Cubs. Osley threw a bullpen session Wednesday and Friday last week. So I think he'll slowly make his way back. Nico exited the, the first game of his rehab assignment over the weekend in his third inning at bat in, in single-A South Bend. He just felt some tension across his oblique when he when he went to swing, and he pulled himself out in the middle of a bat. They said there was no re-aggravation. It was just something didn't feel right. He pulled himself out. I think it'll be all the better for it. Hopefully he can, um, you know, bounce back in a week or two here and uh, and get back um, 
you know, back in the lineup, back in the rehab starts. Contreras is going to uh, be in a DH position here when they play the White Sox on the south side uh, and early next week as well. So I think it would be nice to have him back in the lineup, back in the clubhouse, uh, and seeing what he can do there. So that's that's the Cubs in a nutshell right now. Yeah, bring back a leader, bring back a big bat. That'll, that should help him a little bit at least. Yeah, and I mean, it's smart move by Nico to pull himself out. I mean, that's exactly what uh, I was just saying about you know, the rehab starts, you know, you're focusing on that area to make sure you don't feel anything change or anything worse. And he felt that tension. So good call, you know, step out before anything gets made worse. Well, and not only that, Jason, I think it shows a lot of maturity for such a young player to realize, hey, something's not right. Let's not try to push through it. Let's take a step back and reevaluate. Yeah, and I think it would have been a different approach too if, if if the Cubs had something to play for right now. Maybe he might have been more aggressive, but maybe just because there's not much to, for them to play for, maybe that's why he took it a little differently. Yeah, good call anyway, though. Yeah. All right, Jason. What about the Phillies? Yeah. So the the Phillies started the week very rough. Uh, their rough patch kind of continued after losing the series from the week before. You know, they lost to the Dodgers, lost to the Reds, and it carried over into the start of this road trip by getting swept by the, at the time, worst in baseball, Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, definitely not what you want to do when you're in, A, you're, also, you're, you're fighting for a playoff spot, and B, you're trying to stay close to the Braves, who I believe were only like a game or game and a half, two games up going into that series so Arizona ended up winning game one three to two Bryce Harper did have a homer in the third which gave the Phillies a one nothing lead kind of made it seem like hey this is going to be what the Phillies need to do but they couldn't generate any offense the rest of the way uh, Bryce's twice second homer of the season was pretty much the the major offense of that game the Diamondbacks did get a double from Josh Rojas, who had three hits on the day, which got a run in there. And then the uh, winning runs came here on a two-run homer from Josh Van Meter. Phillies threatened in the ninth. Brad Miller did double off of Tyler Clippard with one out, and then he got to third on a flyout. Travis Jankowski, I got a Lancashire Catholic grad, actually. He ended up walking. Miller then scored on a wild pitch. Jankowski went to second as a tying run. But Alec Bohm, who uh, later at the end of this week was uh, optioned to triple-A, he popped up to shallow left for the final out. Kel Gibson pitched really well for the Phillies, and he has been stellar since coming over from the Rangers. He went six innings, gave up seven hits, three earned runs, two walks, and five strikeouts. However, he was kind of matched by Taylor Widener by Arizona. He went five innings, two hits, one earned run, three walks, and five Ks. I mean, the Phillies made him look like a Cy Young candidate, only getting two hits off of him. Arizona did out-hit the Phillies 7-3, to three, even though their staff walked six. Tyler Clippard got his third safe out of that game. And then game two, uh, Umberto Castellanos pitched very well for Arizona. Ended up getting his first win of the season, and he also had an RBI at the plate, so 
pitcher helping himself out at the dish, which is not what you want to see if you're a Phillies fan, but what you really want to see if you're a Diamondbacks fan is if your team's not going to help you out, do it yourself. Castellanos did go five and a thirds, uh, three hits, one earned run, two walks, and a strikeout. Ranger Suarez uh, kind of struggled this time, which he was almost kind of due for a rough start. He's been pitching very well this season. He did go four and two-thirds, only uh, gave up three earned runs, but he did give up eight hits and four walks, which was big, and only had two strikeouts. The Diamondbacks pretty much had runners in scoring position every single inning he worked. So the fact that he got out of that with three earned runs is kind of impressive, actually. Mm -hmm. Jubal Herrera did lead off the game with a triple and scored on a pass ball, but it was the last lead that the Phillies had because the Diamondbacks scored in the third, fourth, fifth, and seventh innings. Clipper picked up his uh, second consecutive game in the save in the series, his fourth of the season. And something of note here, Diamondbacks pitcher Caleb Smith did have his glove confiscated during the game, and it was in the eighth inning. He ended up getting ejected from the game. He was checked by the third base umpire, Phil Cousy, who then motioned for the umpires to look at the glove. Smith was arguing, and at one point he actually had to be pulled back by some of the team's coaches. He eventually handed the glove to a uh, third base umpire, Cousy, then handed the glove to a game official who took it off the field and into the tunnel. Smith was saying that the spots were dirt and that he didn't cheat, but that was kind of really something to watch there as, as it was the first time that I've seen a pitcher kind of get pulled out of the game. So game three was a really good pitching matchup between Zach Wheeler and uh, Madison Bumgarner. Bumgarner pitched incredible. What went eight innings, three hits, one earned run, one walk and five Ks. I mean, he was kind of the Bumgarner of old. He is currently uh, 3-2 and two with a 1.93 ERA and 7 starts. And he also actually had an RBI single. So again, pitcher helped himself out. Diamondbacks pretty much played small ball this series. Uh, and then the game 3 with 4 doubles, hitting 4 for 7 with runners in scoring position. And their win in this game took them ahead of the Orioles as far as worst team in baseball goes. The Orioles now hold that honor. And the worst part for the Phillies here is after sweeping uh, the first-place Mets to take the two-game lead in the division on August 8th, they have lost seven of nine. And at this point, we're four games behind the Braves in the standings. In that streak, Phillies have been held to two runs or fewer in seven of those uh, games. They've had six hits in the final two innings Thursday, but only scored once in each inning and stranded five. So uh, they, they even had the bases loaded with a time run at the play in the ninth. So story right now, especially before heading into the San Diego series, is the Phillies just aren't hitting. It, their pitching was not bad, but their pitching was getting no help from the offense, uh, other than essentially Bryce Harper kind of doing things on his own. He's still having a great week. Anything on the uh, Diamondback series before I take things to San Diego? Um, I'm just looking here on Smith's ejection. It looks like MLB has not yet 
uh, made a determination if they're going to suspend him yet. They're still, it looks like they're still testing the glove and they have not yet come to a decision on that. Okay. Um, Smith says it's you know, just rosin and dirt that was there, so well, we'll see. I don't know if the rosin would be considered a sticky substance in that regard or not, because, I mean, honestly, you know, you're picking up the rosin bag and then it's just getting from your hand to the glove. I don't necessarily see that as being a foreign substance, so to speak because you're allowed to use the rosin bag. You know, it's not like they saw him smacking his glove with the rosin bag, so we'll have to see what happens there. I, j based on what I'm seeing, I'm not really confident that they're going to suspend him, but we'll have to t keep an eye on that. Yeah. Uh, here, here's the big thing for me, Jason. Um, we, were we were just talking about with Atlanta. These bad teams, you need to take advantage of them, and the Phillies, yeah. they, they fell apart. The, the hitting went completely cold. The pitching wasn't bad overall. They just, you know, they just couldn't do anything against them. And I know the Diamondbacks are a hideous team on the road and a below-average team at home. But I, I was really, really shocked that the Phillies couldn't at least get one game out of that series. Uh, I mean, I had them taking two out of the three uh, in our pick on this week. And, and to not even get a single win there is, honestly, it's inexcusable for the Phillies. Um you're, you're trying to stay close to a team in the Braves who is incredibly hot right now where you can't fall too far behind. The schedule does uh, change here coming up, and it does favor the Phillies as the Braves get a much harder schedule, and especially with the number of games they play in a certain amount of time. While the Phillies, I think they have maybe one or two series against a team with a winning record for the rest of the season so the schedule heavily favors the Phillies but if they play down to their competition like they did in Arizona it's it's going to be game over so they, they need to be winning the series from here on out against the teams that they need to be beating well, right and again you don't need to sweep everybody you need to take two or three yeah, you need to take two or three, three or four. You know, you, you you just you can't get swept. That that was that was the worst part to me. Not even the fact that if they had one game, that would be one and two. No, they lost all three games. They lost three full games in the standings. So, I, I mean, I just don't know how this team plays down to their competition that way and then they, they went into I, I mean this is a good segue into San Diego here they they ended up getting two, taking two out of three in San Diego <laughs> it makes uh, no I, sense and they they took they beat San Diego in an earlier series at home so they're playing the tough teams well aside from the Dodgers Red series that was kind of uh, coming back down to earth type of thing after their winning streak. You know, but, you know, Jason, I warned you about that red series. The way that Cincinnati team likes to mash, Citizens Bank Park is not a huge home field advantage like it is for a lot of teams because that team loves to smash home runs and that you know as well as I do, hot summer nights in Philadelphia, the ball flies out of that ballpark. Mhm. Mm yeah. Um but, uh, Joe, do you have anything on this one before before I talk about the San Diego series? 
No, I mean you've touched on it. it they just they just couldn't hit. I mean I think Suarez, had, like you said, he was due for a rough start. So hopefully it's a it's a once and done thing. And I do agree that the schedule gets better for them going forward. Yeah. Um, so game one, uh, Phillies ended up snapping their losing streak at, at four games with a four to three win. Matt Moore, who has pitched the last two starts in his rotation since being demoted to the bullpen due to injuries to uh, to Zach Eflin there, he pitched well again. He, he went four and a third innings, gave up three hits, two earned runs, four walks, four Ks. I mean, he, he did what the Phillies have needed him to do the last two starts. Blake Snell did have a good game for the Padres, going five innings, two hits, and three earned runs with two walks and nine strikeouts. And he did end up taking the loss in this one. The Phillies scored three runs in the third against Snell. With two outs, Gene Segura walked and stole second base. JT doubled him home. And then Bryce Harper hit a two-run homer. Not a solo shot. He got an extra RBI out of this one. Uh, long home run to right field on a slider. Eric Hosmer, who has reached base four times, he reached base four times through a single and three walks. Uh, led off the eighth with a walk against Archie Bradley. Moved to third on a single by Will Myers. And then Bradley struck out Adam Frazier and Trent Grisham. Before walking Tommy Pham to load the bases. Bradley was lifted then for Ian Kennedy, to, who came in to try for the four-out save, who instantly hit Fernando Tatis Jr. with the bases loaded to get a run home, make it 4-3. to three. Uh, Tatis, uh, of no, and this ball was hit in the – it was a fastball. It, it did hit Tatis in the helmet. He got up pretty much right away, was not injured. He was fine, which is great to see. Kennedy then was able to come back out in the ninth, and did his job, struck out Manny Machado to end the game on a questionable third strike call, I will admit that. But, hey, you got to take it when you can, right? Um, So he he did pick up his 20th save from that. You're not kidding calling that questionable. That was a pretty bad call. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at some of the calls from the night, and... It's one where home plate, the home plate on that night was definitely off. He was off for both teams. It, it was a little more favorable for the Phillies. I believe it was like a 1.6 uh, run differential for the Phillies, which, which is a lot. But a lot of it was in just one part of an inning. It, it, most of the calls were in the final inning. So... It's one where he was kind of consistently bad the whole game, but when you lose four in a row and you're falling behind in the division, you take what you can get. <laughs> um, and then game two was was really good, but was also very frustrating. Uh, first off, Aaron Nola got to face his older brother, Austin Nola, which was pretty cool. And you see it replays his dad their dad is in the stands he has a Padres jersey on underneath the Phillies jersey so it it was a really good good time for the uh, Nola family to watch them play each other because uh, that was the first time that they've actually done that and they had over 25 people there in attendance 
Aaron Nola pitched lights out for almost the entire game. He had a perfect game through six innings. He ended up going eight and two-thirds innings, two hits, three runs, two earned, two walks, and 11 strikeouts. He threw 117 pitches, 76 for strikes, which ties his highest number of pitches in in his career, which was back in 2019 against Atlanta. Nola did lead off the eighth inning with a double to right center field off of Padres reliever Daniel Hudson while the score was tied at one with the bases loaded and they were loaded by walks. Dina Gregorius was then hit by a pitch by Tim Hill. Hill then was replaced by Austin Adams who hit Brad Miller which scored Gene Segura to give the Phillies a 3-1 to one lead. Now of note here, the, the way that the uh, perfect game ended here in the seventh inning. There, there was an error by first baseman Brad Miller, which ruined the perfect game. And then, of course, later in the inning, you have a runner on second base, and Nola gives up his first hit of the game, which ends up tying the game. So, in the ninth inning, Nola comes back out and runs into a little trouble. He gets gets an out. Then walks Tatis, gets a second out, and falls behind on uh, Jake Cronenworth and and a 3-1 pitch, which it should have actually been a 2-2 pitch. Um, They appealed a check swing, which in the replays you see the bat is out in front of home plate. It's It's not even close. And Apparently, umpire umpire down the baseline was not paying attention. He ruled no swing. So 3-1 pitch, Nola grooves a fastball, which you can't do in this situation, and Cronenworth ties the game up with a two-run homer. So it, it really spoiled what was otherwise a fantastic night for Aaron Nola. Phillies uh, center fielder Travis Jankowski did really make a good try leaping uh, to try and get that ball over the fence in uh, right center field. He did miss it, so uh, high game. Adam Fraser then scored the winning run in the 10th inning, thanks to a wild pitch by Connor Brogdon. So, terrible way to lose. Musgrove did have a good start for the Padres, going seven innings, two to six innings, three hits, one and run, two walks, nine strikeouts. He allowed a leadoff home run to Odubel Herrera. Game three, the Phillies got their big guy back, Reese Hoskins, and it instantly changed the lineup. Phillies won 7-4. Reese homered twice in his return. Kyle Gibson pitched eight amazing innings, and uh, the Phillies on Sunday ended up winning that game, knocking the Padres out of a playoff position for the first time since April. So JT Real Muto went. He homered. Dubal hit a home run, and Gibson went went eight innings, gave up six hits, one earned run, one walk, and three strikeouts. Gibson's starts have shown that the Phillies have won that that trade with the Rangers already. Uh, he's instantly paying off. Uh, Austin Nola did come in as a pinch hitter and had a three-run double in the ninth off of Hector Neris, because of course he did, uh, <laughs> which narrowed the cap down to seven to four. 
Neris then was able to uh, break out Trent Grisham to end it. And that was the, the Phillies escaped the week only down five in the standings to Atlanta, which is definitely doable and will mean that the Phillies will give me hope until later in the year where they just rip it all away. Would it be Philadelphia if it happened any other way? No. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> so, what is Girardi doing managing his pitchers? Last week, you had more with a no-hitter, and he pulls him after 80 pitches. I understand he doesn't do well after the sixth inning, but he was hot. He had it going. You pull him after 80 pitches. You bring Nola back out, and... Uh, yeah, you're right. They they missed the check swing, but even still, you could tell with that last pitch, he was running so far on fumes. And 117 pitches, like, I understand you want to give your guy a chance to win because he pitched incredible, but at the same time, you have to pull him out when he has nothing left. Absolutely, and that was that was kind of what bothered me the most. I. I'm fine with him coming out to start the ninth inning. I think that was the right thing. I, I, I think he should have been pulled for after he walked Tatis. After he walked Tatis, it's kind of, all right, he's definitely drained. He's definitely tired. Let's get him out, get Kennedy in. Because, I mean, that's, that's what you traded your prospects for, to get Kennedy in here to close games. Right, because that's so, a save at that point still. You're not talking about using Kennedy in a let's try and hold the lead or we're going to save him and try and get the save in extra innings. You had the lead at that point. Yeah, yeah, it was a 3-1 three, it was a three to one game at that time. So I, I think Joe clearly overmanaged and mismanaged. Uh, which tends to be the case with his pitchers, especially his starters this year. And even even if you didn't pull him then, you had to pull him after the two outs. You, you can see that he's at basically 112 pitches. He's throwing the most pitches he ever has. And he's gassed. It's, it's not going to end well. And it didn't end well. Um, what, one thing that I did see... Aaron Nola's two fastest pitches of the season uh, were two, also two of his five fastest pitches of his career were strikes two and three to his brother in game two. <laughs> I so, love sibling uh, he, rivalry. I love it. <laughs> he, he was a bit amped up about that, and uh, you kind of saw some smirks from both of them a, a, after that happened. So um, in, in that game, Austin did... Uh, eventually put the bat on the ball he, he did pop out um and then uh Aaron Nola walked him in the third at bat so but yeah his, his two out of his five fastest pitches in his career came in game two against his brother <laughs> is there any other way to do it <laughs> <laughs> um some injury updates here because the Phillies have a lot of injuries um Getting, getting Reese back is huge. Um, it changed the lineup around there because it, it gave it gave Harper and Segura a, a, a chance to see some pitches. Um, same with Real Muto, see some pitches, and, and it paid off. They were hitting home runs. But uh, Sam Coonrod and Freddie Galvis are starting rehab assignments with AAA uh, in Lehigh Valley. 
Uh, Coonrod made his second rehab appearance on Saturday, throwing seven pitches in a scoreless inning. Um, that was on Friday. Uh, Girardi said that the plan is for him to make another outing, which might come this week here, with his expected return at some point this week. Uh, Vince Velasquez is beginning a rehab assignment in Class A Clearwater. Jose Alvarado, who is also on the 10-day injured list, threw a bullpen session on Friday. Alvarado will throw another session uh, on Sunday, either another session on Sunday. And then Zach Eflin, again, he's he's had he had he has made me feel good because I said earlier this year that I felt that he was going to have a breakout year, and he was. Uh, he was pitching excellent before going down with right knee tendonitis. He allowed one hit and no runs in two and a third inning in his rehab appearance with Double A Reading. So uh, I think they'll be looking at him to come back soon. There's no determination on what the next step is, but my guess is they might want him to get another rehab start there or, or in Triple A to face more batters before they get him up. I would think at least one, probably more likely two to three more starts because he had that period of time where they had to completely shut him down when they were expecting to start the rehab starts. So I, I haven't read anything on the Phillies injury report, Jason, but that's what my gut's telling me. Probably two, maybe three more rehab starts. Yeah, and that, that seems to be the normal, especially with something like tendonitis. Yeah. You need to make sure that that's cleared up and that the inflammation and things like that is down. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's look around at the other local teams. Uh, as we know, the Orioles' losing streak continued. Uh, they got swept in a four-game series by the Rays before they fell to Atlanta during the weekend. For, throughout the entire 18-game losing streak, they have been outscored 149-47. to Angelo's family, you suck at running a baseball team. The Nationals, they ended their seven-game losing streak by sweeping Toronto in a two-game miniseries at home before dropping 2-3 or three to the Brewers on the road. So I guess Toronto only beats up on Atlanta and Philadelphia. Yeah, go, good grief. The Mets, it was another long week for the Mets fans on this West Coast road trip. They dropped two out of three to the Giants in San Francisco and three out of four to the Dodgers in Los Angeles. For the season, guys, the Dodgers hold a 6-1 and one record against the Mets, something both Jason and I are not at all upset about. Uh, in the middle of the week, guys, Steve, uh, Mets owner Steve Cohen actually called out the team's poor hitting in, a, in some tweets. Um, and I think I, I saw, was it yesterday or Saturday, uh, Francisco Lindor said, you know what, he's absolutely right, and especially with me. Defensively, I've been fine. My speed's been fine. My bat's been terrible this year. And then in their Sunday win over the Dodgers, uh, they actually snapped the Dodgers' nine-game winning streak as Bias came back from injury. Huge for the Mets in that game. And then the Yankees, they remain one of the hottest teams in baseball as they completed a perfect week as well. They swept the Red Sox and the Twins, both series in New York. Um, guys, they're going to head to Atlanta next for a two-game miniseries featuring two games on, two, I'm sorry, two teams that are on nine-game winning streaks before they head out west for a four-game set with the A's. And guys, this is only the third time in Major League history that you have two teams meeting that are on nine-plus game winning streaks. So, it's going to be a lot of fun. This Braves-Yankees series is going to be a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, and I think it's even the – I think I saw somewhere that was the, it's the first time since, like, early 1900s. Yeah, I, I want to say 1920s at the latest. It, it wasn't – It was 19 – actually 1900. Oh, was it? Okay. So it's been 120 yeah. 
120, 121 years in the making. And then I think the the first time it happened was in the 1880s or the 1890s. So yeah, this is it's it's a historic series. It's too bad it's only a mini series. Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, one of the few times you're going to have Mets fans rooting for the Yankees. Uh, fans, I, I will definitely be rooting for yeah. the for the uh, Yankees this week. I think at least uh, in the first two games. I think that extra luck is uh, love is is helping. The Yankees are up three to one in the middle of the seventh at the moment. Yeah, of course they are. All right, let's take a quick break, guys. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, as we get into our secondary topics, we're going to start off with the final City Connect jersey of the year being revealed. It is the Los Angeles Dodgers uniform. The uniforms are a royal blue top on royal blue pants. The cap features Los Dodgers, as does the jersey. The sleeve ends are black in a splatter pattern fading into the blue. And then the socks, they featured a bit of a faux stirrup effect with a paint, with a paint splatter design. Excuse me. The Dodgers' team statement about the uniforms, quote, For over six decades, Angelinos have been united by a team, a dream, and a color. Whether you refer to that color as blue or azul, we all share a connection and an allegiance to a team that inspires our art and story. We are Los Angeles, Somos Los Dodgers. Quote, The Dodger uniform is an iconic part of the franchise's identity. While our traditional look has and will always be worn by the franchise great players, the City Connect program offered us the opportunity to recognize the impact and importance of our multicultural fan base. We're excited to debut these City Connect uniforms on the field and know our fans will enjoy seeing Los Dodgers on the uniforms as well as our new murals which bring Los Angeles street art culture to Dodger Stadium. And that was from uh, Lon Rosen, the Dodgers Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer. So, uh, first of all, before we look at all the jerseys, guys, what did you think of the Dodgers jerseys, Joe? I liked it. I thought it was a lot of blue, but it wasn't the mix-up blues that they did for the Wrigleyville Uni. So I, I liked it. It was it was subtle and, and a good tribute to the city. I thought. What about you, Jason? Yeah, they're they're not bad. They're they're definitely too blue for me, especially um, just how it's just blue running into blue i i kind of think it, it's it's almost like they're trying to do too much like the color rush uniforms that the nfl does um so it, they're not bad they're, they're not my favorite but they're not the worst either no they're not the worst um so yeah here's the thing i i've got a couple problems i also don't like blue on blue like that i it would have looked great with white pants to break it up. Um, the black splatter thing on the arms. When I saw the initial press release, I was like, you're going to lose that on the field. And when I saw it, I was right. You really didn't notice it at all. Like, if you're going to emphasize the artwork and the graffiti-type murals and whatnot, make it bigger. You know, go big or go home. And it is, you know, the thing with the City Connect uniforms, it's tough for these really traditional teams to break away from that. But I feel like the Dodgers really didn't go away from their uniforms at all, from their regular. They added Glow Dodgers. They kept the blue. They didn't really do hardly anything different. Um, and another thing that kind of bugged me a little bit, the Los Dodgers, the way they have it centered on the chest it's actually, the, I think it's the D in the Dodgers is actually cut off like by the button. So if you have a player that likes to leave some buttons undone, it breaks the word up and it just, it, it didn't look completely well done. 
So uh, Nike's mission statement of the City Connect uniforms is thus. The goal was to celebrate the bond between each club and its city. The uniform series explores the personality, values, and customs that make each community and their residents unique. So looking at that, um, how did you guys rank the seven uniforms? So just a reminder for our listeners, this was the order the uniforms were released. It was the Red Sox, the Marlins, the White Sox, the Cubs, the Diamondbacks, the Giants, and the Dodgers. I think um, getting to see the uniforms a little more up close a week or so ago, the Miami Marlin uniform was was excellent. I really liked what the Giants did with the fog and and the color choice there. I felt like they didn't try to overpower it with too much of a certain color. So for me, it would probably be Marlins, Giants, Red Sox, and then probably Dodgers, Diamondbacks, White Sox, and Cubs. I couldn't stand those stupid Wrigleyville unis, and they're wearing them every Friday at home for the rest of the year. My apologies to you, Joe. So. <laughs> How about you, Jason? What'd you? Where did you rank the seven uniforms? Yeah, uh, I started out kind of the same here with Joe. I I would go with the Marlins first, followed by the Giants, and then the Red Sox. And then I actually put the Diamondbacks up there, followed by the Dodgers. And, I mean, pick your poison for Chicago as far as rounding it out. <laughs> Um, I didn't really care for either either of the Chicago ones, so um, I would probably I would maybe give the edge to Wrigleyville as far as being um, not last. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So here's how I ranked them. I I actually went Red Sox one, Marlins two. I actually went with the White Sox three, Diamondbacks four. I would have had the Diamondbacks at three, but it's just too much black. I didn't like that they blacked out the flag and everything else, especially with the rich color palette that the Southwest has. I think if they would splashed a little more, just even some red in there, it would have looked a lot better. And then I had the Cubs 5, the Dodgers 6, and the Giants 7. I thought I couldn't stand the fog motif. I thought you completely lost it on the field. You had trouble reading some of the numbers. They couldn't decide if they wanted to do the Golden Gate Bridge orange or the Giants orange. I, I, I wish that if they would have done the Golden Gate Bridge orange to bring that part and just drop the whole fog motif altogether, I thought other than the stupid stretch G on the front of the uniform, the Giants would have been a more solid choice. I, the Dodgers, I, they just didn't really do anything. It's not that different from their regular uniform. Um, I thought the Cubs were better, just barely. It, I know you're picking your poison with two all blue uniforms. I I like the Cubs a little bit better than the Dodgers, although let's be honest, it wasn't that big of a difference if we're really comparing the two. Um, anything else from the City Connect uniforms, guys? The one thing I really liked about the Red Sox one was the was the tribute to the marathon. I thought that was really cool, and I think they revealed it on or wore it on that weekend that the marathon would have been held. Yes, they did. And so I think that was a really nice combination of, of the uni and the the release of it. So I thought that was really cool. Again, the Marlins uniform, the, the, the connection to the city and the culture, I think they knocked it out of the park. That And that's why Red Sox Marlins were my top two, because I think they did a better job of connecting the community to the uniform better than all of the other ones put together. 
Yeah, I mean, we we talked. You were talking about how the uh, the colors didn't really work for the, the the color palette for the Diamondbacks, and and that's where the Marlins jerseys were knocked out of the park. Uh, just the bright colors, the 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 Cuban reference. Um, I, I think that the the colors and the style of that uniform just screamed Miami. I think Arizona missed an opportunity to bring the. Uh... The teal and the purple back. <laughs> yeah, it would have looked nice, honestly. With that gold base, the teal and purple would have gone really well. Yeah, they really did miss an opportunity there. All right, and then yesterday, guys, you had the Little League Classic game. So for those that don't know, uh, once a year, the two major league teams play a game in Williamsport to celebrate the Little League World Series going on. Now, they're playing at a nearby minor league ballpark, so they have... Uh, it, it's a regulation size field. They're not playing in the Williams, the Little League Williamsport field, where the score would probably be something along the line of 128 to 122, because I think it's maybe 120 to dead center at most 200. So, they are at a regulation field. So the game last night featured uh, Cleveland hosting the Angels. Both teams wore V-neck pullovers to give the game a Little League kind of look. Um, unfortunately, both teams have red and blue in their uniforms, so there wasn't a lot of contrast between the two uniforms. As the home team, Cleveland wore a white pullover with a red V-neck and contrasting blue sleeves. They wore blue caps with red brims, which was their normal cap, and white pants. However, instead of the team name or city on the front, Cleveland supported Great Lakes, which is what the region would be if they were a Little League team. It was a little hard to completely read it because it was blue on red and then it had a white block shadow around it. The road team had a similar gray pullover with a blue v-neck and contrasting red sleeves. They also had their regular caps on with gray pants. Uh, like Cleveland, the Angels had West as their identifier and suffered from similar visibility problems. It, it, again, similar color palettes, it's going to happen. Uh, West was in red over a blue sash, again with that white block shadow. Both teams wore red numbers outlined in blue which in their normal fonts, and the name on, ba on the backs of all the uniforms were blue. Um, a few players, and this was really cool, guys, they wore specially designed shoes, and many of them used specially painted bats. One was one was a Crayola yellow, and I think it was I think it was called like Foul Pull Basher or something like that. These were like the artwork on the bats was absolutely amazing. And another really cool thing they did on the scoreboard was both teams did uh, pictures of their players as kids in their little league uniforms and made like the little like the little league baseball cards that you could get with the picture package. And I I just thought the look was overall really neat. You know. I, I'm not a fan of V-neck uniforms for baseball, but for something like this, for a one-off, because it's what Little League kids wear, it worked. I, I thought it was a pretty sharp-looking game, actually. Right, and I think, too, what, what we're seeing with the major leagues is they do these really these neutral site special games. They, they find a way to just do it well, mm -hmm. whether it's the uniforms, whether it's the production, like the Field of Dreams game. Major League Baseball just finds a way to really do these neutral games and these specialty games really well, I think. Yeah, and for, for me, like, I loved watching the the first pitch where you had a representative from each of the teams basically take a relay throw until you get to uh, the pitcher's mound where it then went to home plate. Um, something that I'm... It, it kind of drives me a little nuts 
but with, with the with the tournament being in Williamsport, PA, how do you not have a team like the Phillies playing this game? I think they rotate it, Jason, uh, both the home team and away team. It would make sense to have either Pittsburgh or Philadelphia hosted every year, but I think they always keep that as both slots open. And Cleveland, I mean, Cleveland's close-ish. I, I do agree. It should be one of the two Pennsylvania teams, but I'm honestly okay if it's either Cleveland or one of the two New York teams or Baltimore-Washington hosting because they're, they're all close enough regional teams. But remember, the idea of the Little League World Series is to bring in players from all over the all over the country and all over the world to play. So in that regard, it doesn't bother me as much. Yeah, I, I think my thought comes from more of the... Um, you're trying to have the nostalgia here. You have, you know, this Pennsylvania... This storm that's known for being in Pennsylvania. And it, it just seemed kind of weird that they didn't have... A, like, I'm not saying the Pennsylvania team needs to be in it every year, but you should start the first couple seasons using the Pennsylvania teams or, or even... Even like a te- like like a Mets or Yankees, um, some of the more popular but still local teams. Yeah, that, just I, I don't know. It just seemed kind of odd to me. Yeah, th- that is a fair point. And then we had another throwback from this past weekend as well. Uh, Tampa Bay wore their late nineteen nineties Devil Ray throwbacks, which uh, Joe is not a fan of, but. Stance, the uh, official sock supplier of MLB, they made some pretty cool socks for this game. So that at least the socks look good. It, the thing, the thing with Stance is, I love Stance's socks. They make amazing socks, awesome patterned socks. Uh, Jason, you work with my brother Alex, and he has a pair of funky Stance socks on pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. I'm not usually impressed with what they've made for Major League Baseball. But those were pretty good, along with the uh, Dodger City Connect socks. Those were pretty solid, too. Yeah. All right, and then we had a major milestone. Miguel Cabrera hit his 500th home run. So congratulations to Miggy. Long time coming, a heck of a ball player. I personally, guys, I was really excited to see it happen. He's long been one of my favorite players to watch because he is so exciting. Um, so, in Miggy joining the 500 club, he is the 28th player to join the club. He's the first player to join the club since David Ortiz in 2015, and he's the first player to reach the milestone as a Detroit Tiger, and he's also the first Venezuelan-born player to reach the milestone as well. So, uh, Miggy, congratulations. I know it's a really long shot to get to uh, the hit milestone this year, but I think he would be one of the first players or one of the first three players to pull that off if he goes on an absolute tear to end the season so you know we'll see if that happens i kind of doubt it but anything's possible yeah and you look at his you know his his career batting average is 311 rbis he's got 1785 a 922 ops you know hit the triple crown in 2012 yeah you can't say enough about how how exciting he's been to watch oh yeah and he's going to be an absolute first ballot hall of famer too no question. Mm-hmm. Actually, if I remember right, the only two players in the 500 home run club that aren't in the Hall of Famer, Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez, correct? Did Sosa get in? Uh, admit, yeah, Sammy Sosa isn't in yet either. 
So, yeah, you know, Miguel, we're going to be excited to see him in Cooperstown in a couple of years after you retire because he's never had a hint of steroids taint him. And, you know, he's just been such a solid player from day one. It, and like I said, so exciting to watch. All right. And then there was uh, one other interesting piece of news over the weekend. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks superstar Giannis Antetokounmpo purchased a minority ownership stake with the Milwaukee Brewers. He's the first new individual investor who's been added to the Brewers' ownership since Mark uh, Atancio purchased the controlling interest of the franchise in 2005. Quote, Milwaukee made me who I am today. It made me a better person. This is basically my home. I've become a father here. I've become a leader here. I've become a champion here, and I want to be involved. I want to be involved in the community as much as possible. I know Milwaukee invested a lot in me referring to his five-year, $228 million Supermax contract he signed with the Bucks in December. And I want to invest a lot of me back into the city of Milwaukee. So, um, Antetokounmpo isn't the only notable Wisconsin athlete with an investment in another state's pro franchise. Uh, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers has a minority ownership stake in the Bucks as well. And I believe uh, Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs also has a minority stake in the Royals, if I remember right, as well. So... Uh, I love what Antetokounmpo is saying, and I think that's an excellent way to turn back, you know, say thanks to the community and reinvest your money and keep it local. I, I think that's really awesome. Yeah, I mean, and he's going to be a part of that city for a long time, especially after, you know, the Bucks winning the NBA title this year. So he's not going anywhere, so why not invest in, in the local sports teams, you know, build up your fan base, build up stock, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if he's not already the most popular athlete in Wisconsin, he will be pretty soon with that mark, especially if he keeps bringing in championships and his money helps the Brewers become a better team. Yeah, and I think as soon as Rodgers is retired, I think he'll easily supplant the top spot or take the top spot. In uh, honestly, Joe, with, Wisconsin. with all of the issues Rodgers has had with his contract and the infighting with the team, I think Antetokounmpo has passed him already. I mean, Rodgers and Antetokounmpo have the exact same number of of individual championships in their sports. Uh, Rodgers hasn't been to a Super Bowl or hasn't won a Super Bowl since the early 2010s. What was it 2010, 2012, something like that? I mean, he's been a he's been a great quarterback, but he hasn't been a championship quarterback in a very long time. I think maybe just more so. I think the name recognition outside your sport is 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 what I think we'll start to we'll see a lot more of. I think yeah. Rodgers has a lot of name recognition outside the sport. Yeah, that's whereas, true. Whereas if you're not a diehard sports fan, you don't really know too much about Giannis. Yeah, I, I think Giannis will get it there. I, I, I don't agree, Andrew, that he's already passed Rodgers. Um, we even saw that when Rodgers signed, just how ecstatic the, the Wisconsin and Green Bay fan base was to get him back. So I, I think he's still holds the top spot as far as the Milwaukee athletes go. But uh, I think he, within the next year or so, you're, you're going to see Giannis, especially if the Bucks keep staying competitive while the Packers kind of fall back. Giannis is going to pass within the next year or so. Yeah, I hope so. I like Giannis. He's a great basketball player, and he's going to be a great ambassador for the sport as he continues to flourish in his superstardom. I mean, you don't really, you 
you don't you don't like Brett, you don't like uh, Aaron Rodgers and the and the Packers. Have I ever? <laughs> I didn't mind Brett. Fa- Honestly, uh, so I started to say Brett Favre. Yeah, that, that yeah. was dating myself a bit. So he, here's the thing. Yes, I'm a Vikings fan. Yes, I hate the Packers. I didn't completely hate the Packers when Brett Favre was playing because he was such an amazing quarterback. I think Aaron Rodgers is an arrogant piece of crap, and I never liked him from the signing and really wish he never would have become as good of a quarterback as he is. Not going to lie, though, when uh, Barr smashed him into the turf a couple years ago and broke his collarbone, I was pretty excited about that. Would, would, you, would you feel the same way if Rodgers played for the Vikings instead of the Packers? <laughs> Honestly, probably. I, I'm not really wild about Kirk Cousins either. I, I'm not... I, I'm one of those long-suffering Vikings fans who, if you're not producing for us, I get pretty pissed off at you pretty quick. <laughs> I mean, you know, back last year before Cousins remembered how to play football again and the team started on that 0-4 start, I was ready to dump the entire team and Cubs-style fire sale the team off and start over. I mean, they kind of pushed it back, but they also played a lot of really bad teams to do that, so... Now, I, that said, too, last year was just a crap shot for all the teams, the mix of fans, no fans. I mean, you never saw Minnesota lose as many games at home as they did last year because they didn't have that stadium packed full of loud, drunk, screaming fans. So I think Minnesota's going to be more of a traditional home power this year like you know they normally have been. All right, so looking ahead at the hot hitters from this past week, my four top hitters were, first was Nicky Lopez of the Royals, slash line 440, 500, 600, 11 hits, one double, one home run, six runs, four RBIs, eight stolen bases, three walks, and five strikeouts. My next one was Brandon Lowe of the Rays, 346, 452, 846, nine hits, four doubles, three home runs, nine runs, nine RBIs, one stolen base, four walks, five strikeouts. I uh, also Tyler Naquin of the Reds, 500-552-1.154, 13 hits, 3 doubles, 1 triple, 4 home runs, 9, R- nine runs scored, 5 RBIs, 3 walks, 2 strikeouts, and Freddie Freeman of Atlanta going 462-517-885, 12 hits, 3 doubles, a triple, 2 home runs, 7 runs, 5 RBIs, 2 walks, 3 strikeouts, and 1 hit for the cycle. Uh, Joe, how about you for hot hitters? Anybody else? I had a, a Voight from the Yankees. Uh, 500, 550, 1,000, slash line, 11 RBIs, two homers, three doubles. It's yeah. a good week. That's a very good week. Uh, how about you, Jason? Anybody else? Uh, you guys actually covered mine. Um, I, I would potentially even add add in how hot Austin Riley has been for the Braves. Um, Freddie had a great week. Um, I, I think Austin's also up there, um, especially with the clutch hitting. I almost did an honorable mention for Riley. I just didn't want to seem like too much of a homer for that, not going to lie. <laughs> we know you are. It's okay. Yeah, well, I guess it's my podcast. I guess I can do that if I want to. In the words of Denny Green, you are who we thought you were. <laughs> yeah, I never tried to argue that. All right. Well, hot- by, by, that, uh, by that logic, then, I guess uh, I'd like to add Reese Hoskins. because uh, Reese Hoskins played one game. He had two home runs in that one game. Two home runs in that one game. It was crucial for them to win that series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's got a 2.1 war this year. That line for the week. His batting average is higher than all of those others. He has uh, the most home runs per plate appearances. (laughs) He's 
I mean, when you look at Reese this year too, I think Jason. I mean, he's his his WAR is two point one. Just yeah. this year alone, I mean, he's they're a totally different ball club with him in the lineup. Yeah, I think you could even argue for him being the most valuable player on the team over Bryce Harper. Um, Harper kept Harper did keep them close over the last few weeks while Reese was out. Um, but it's it's clear how how much Reese's bat is needed in that lineup. Oh, absolutely, especially when Bomb fell flat in his face, both in the field and at the bat. Yeah, he needs to get that figured out in AAA. Yeah. I, I think he will. Yeah, um, I, I think it was just too much too fast. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not a, This is his second season, or is this his, technically his it, third season? It's it's his first full season. He came okay. up partway last year. Okay, so he's kind of like Riley. This is his first full season breaking his teeth in. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, that's not a, that's not a surprise then. Actually, a, a year ago today, he got his first major league home run with a uh, splashdown in Atlanta. Was that a was that a walk off or was that a mid inning game? I can't remember. It, it was like it was like fifth inning. Okay, um, but he got on base later on, and uh, or no, I'm sorry, Freddie Freddie was on third base later on, and was I remember this? Uh, he was talking, was like, "Hey, congratulations, that's great." quite a story too you know why is the ball waterlogged <laughs> that's right yeah that's right we were talking about that last year i remember now yeah all right my hot pitchers for this past week i had garrett cole of the yankees 2-0 and 13 innings seven hits one earned run two walks 15 strikeouts one home run allowed that's a 0.77 era 0.77 whip not bad uh i actually had a guy with a losing record this week sandy alcantara of the marlins he went 0-2 Guys, but he threw 15 innings, allowed nine hits, three earned runs, three walks, an amazing 18 strikeouts, only allowed two home runs. It's a 1.80 RA and a .8 whip. I had Adam Wainwright of the Cardinals, one and one, 14 and two thirds, 11 hits, two earned runs, two walks, 13 strikeouts. Didn't allow a home run this week, 1.290 RA and a .93 whip. And then I had two Atlanta pitchers. I had Tukey who went two and zero on the week, 13 innings, eight hits, three earned runs, five walks, 12 strikeouts. Two home runs, 231 ERA, 111 whip. And also Max Fried. He only had the one start, but it was the uh, Maddox complete game shutout. How about you, Joe? I had I had Fried. I had Alcantara. I thought Nola pitched really well, as yeah. we've talked about. Uh, Bubik, to me, was an honorable mention from Kansas City because without that rain delay, who knows what happens. That could have been our, our record-breaking no-hitter. Yeah, that, that's such a pity for the kid. He was on fire until that rain delay, which produced, like, no rain. Knocked right. him out. Right. I think the other one I had, too, was Marcus Stroman from the Mets. Went 1-1 one and one on the week, but he went 13 innings, 9 hits, 5 runs, 15 strikeouts, uh, 1 even whip, and a 196 batting average against. So, when he's on, he's great. It's just the offense behind him is terrible. Uh, it's kind of like Nola this year. So streaky. Either amazing or hit a lot. And, that's, and actually, it's because of Nola's earlier start. It's why I didn't put him on this week. It's just he's so wildly inconsistent. What about you, Jason? Yeah, and I agree with not playing Nola on there. I mean, even with the second start, I, I think the fact that he lost, he ended up giving that game up. I mean, I, I think that kind of ruined the start for him. At least it did for me. How, how, um, much, is that, then, how much of that is on Girardi? <laughs> It's I gladly admit that and agree that a lot of it is on Girardi. It, it uh, I think some of it also has to fall to Andrew Knapp catching 
of that game. You, you do not call a fastball in that situation. So no, you had an, you had an open base. Go with the breaking yeah. ball. Don't groove a fastball. And yeah. if you walk, you walk him, and then you bring Kennedy in. Exactly. But um, the the other pitcher that I was kind of thinking for consideration here was actually Kyle Gibson. Um, he he did go one and one on the week, but he pitched really well in that game against Arizona. He just didn't get any run support. And then he dominated yesterday. So I, I would add Kyle Gibson into the mix here for uh, hot pitchers this week. Yeah, I think on my list, I think Gibson was probably like my sixth or seventh on my list. So yeah, he was close to the t- my top as well. All right, my hot teams for the week. I had the Braves, of course, the Brewers, the Reds, the Giants, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Rays, and actually the Mariners had a really good week last week, too. Um, Jason, Joe, do you guys have anybody else for hot teams? That one looked really good to me. I am adding the Diamondbacks to this one, not to pile on to Jason here. <laughs> but um, they're 7-3 no. s- of their last 10. Uh, they went 3-1 and one in that San Diego series, 3-1. And and O against Philly, and then they went one and two against Pittsburgh the last ten games. So, um, and they were winning. They're now tied with the Pirates here in the seventh tonight. So they they had a really good last week or so. Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I will agree. Yeah, I would too. Reluctantly. I, isn't that the first time they've been seven and three since they smashed Atlanta and Atlanta early in the season before they forgot how to play baseball? I don't know. I don't track it as closely as you do. <laughs> no, I meant the Di- the Diamondbacks, not the Braves. Yeah. Uh, they, my God, after April, they just fell apart. I, do, I will say that something is going to give in, in this one tonight. The Yankees are up 5-1 to one after 8. Yeah, it might, be, it, it might be Charlie Morton tomorrow stopping the Yankees' 10-game winning streak, but we'll see. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. So let's take a look at the week coming up for our three teams. Atlanta is home all week. They have a two-game miniseries for the Yankees. The matchups are Yanoa versus Montgomery and Morton versus Heaney. And then three at home versus the Giants. It's Freed versus Webb, Smiley versus an unannounced starter, and Toussaint versus an unannounced starter. So, you know, this is going to be a big week for Atlanta. It looks like they're probably going to lose tonight, but they can definitely still split tomorrow. Uh, I'm not betting against Charlie Morton the way he's been pitching lately. Uh, the Braves are now kicking into the difficult part of the schedule, and they need to keep the momentum going. They need to at least split or you know, at least look good in these series to hold that lead over the Phillies. What do you think, Joe? I'm hoping they don't do that. Um, but I do. Yeah, they're they're, they're going to lose tonight most, most likely. Um, it's impressive that the we, we – talked about the Braves this week and we didn't talk about a Morton start being wasted so um, maybe they've turned the corner on Charlie Morton's starts I don't know but I was uh, overjoyed by that not gonna lie it's been a while I do think that that giant series is gonna be pretty pretty fun to watch um, the way the Giants have been we have we have been waiting and waiting for Gabe Kapoor to be Gabe Kapoor and it just hadn't happened yet you think it's gonna happen this week Jason I mean, I'm hoping it doesn't. <laughs> um, I mean, I'd be all right if uh, the Braves went 0-5 this week. I, I would be fine with that. Yeah, it's not going to happen, buddy. I, I do <laughs> I do think that the this is it's just a different atmosphere for Kapler, I think. Um, I, I think it's a quite quite a different environment, so I don't know that we're going to see him, him 
Faf. Jason, he's never held this. He's never held a division lead this late in the season, has he? No. Um, the two years that he was with the team, they were up big at the All Star break, or right, or like right before the All Star break, and then it just kind of fell apart. I'm thinking he maybe has learned his lesson from some of the things he was doing. I haven't paid too much attention to it, but I'm wondering if he's messing with the lineup as much as he did while he was in Philly. The Phillies never had the same lineup twice at seed when, when he was managing. He, he would he would put Harper in the leadoff spot, he, you know, Hoskins in the leadoff spot. It's like, you, you don't do that with those guys. So maybe he's learning a little bit and, and is changing up some of his managing style. Maybe he's adapting to a little more gut gut calls as opposed to strictly analytics like he did in Philly. I mean, you're, you're talking about the guy who pulled Aaron Nola uh, six innings on 50 pitches because he liked the matchup that was coming up. So, Oh, yeah, um, I remember that. <laughs> and that was opening day. So They lost that game, didn't they? So, I mean, maybe he's learned. He, he's, just, just looking over the last couple of games, it looks like he's been – keeping the fairly same lineup so maybe you're right maybe he's picked up on that yeah the, the phillies have a habit of training managers to be winners and when they leave philly <laughs> uh, uh, uh biggest example is terry francona yeah he he did he did not do well in philly now that wasn't completely francona's fault but again first time manager in philly i believe Learned some things, went on to the Indians and Red, well, Red Sox first, and took them to World Series titles. So, yeah, if you want to develop a manager, uh, take a, take whatever the whoever the Phillies manager is when they get rid of them. So when Girardi eventually leaves Philly, hey, pick him up. Well, let's let's be realistic, Jason. The teams that Francona had to work with in Philadelphia. Connie Mack couldn't have gotten a ton of victories out of those teams either. All right, so the Cubbies this week, they have three at home versus the Rockies. You have Hendricks versus Senzatella, Steele versus Marquez, and Davies versus Gomber, and three at the White Sox. Unannounced starter versus Lopez, Thompson versus Lynn, and Mills versus Cease. So, Joe, do you think the White the Cubs have a snowball shot in hell at taking one in the nor- uh, one on the south side? Excuse me. I don't think they're going to. Um, I'm not going to be bold and predict they win a game against in this series. I think I'm, I, I'm not expecting much. Um, and it's in the south side this time, too, so it's just a different atmosphere for them. Uh, to me... I'm going to call it now. Mill, Mills versus Cease helps win that game, that game. There's your shot in the dark, folks. I, I hope so. But I, I'm not counting on it, but I hope so. I, I think... Um, Again, the theme for me, I think, the last few weeks, and I think it's going to continue to be, is you know, seeing what we have in the tank for the for next year. I'm not even thinking about records at this point. Um, you know, Steele's two starts this year so far have been pretty good, um, and and we'll see kind of if he can, what he's got in the tank, what he's got available. Uh, you know, get Keegan Thompson some innings. See what you're going to have, you know, in, in that rotation, which will be probably Hendricks, Steele, Thompson, Mills, and then somebody else. 
All right, and then for the Phillies, they have a two-game miniseries at home versus the Rays. You have Suarez versus Rasmussen and Wheeler versus an unannounced starter. That might be a bullpen game. I'm not sure. And then four at home versus the D-backs in what will be the revenge tour for Philadelphia. You have Moore versus Galen, Nola versus Widener, Gibson versus an unannounced starter, and Suarez versus Bumgarner. So, Jason, you have to be feeling better about the four in Arizona back in Philadelphia, right? Uh, I definitely am, and, I, and I'm feeling probably overly optimistic about the series against the Rays. I like the fact that they have two out of who have been their three best pitchers lately in Suarez and Wheeler. Uh, the only way that could have been better is if you had Gibson pitching in that series, but I, I'm glad that they have him coming up versus the Diamondbacks. So my goal for the Rays series is for the Phillies to go 1-1. One 2-0 one. Oh would be great but they need to win at least one of those two games. And then, uh, I guess, the Diamondbacks, a lot of it's going to depend on which more and which Nola they get and which Bumgarner the D-backs throw at them. I, I think they win the Gibson start, and and I think maybe one other one. I, I want They need to win three or four against the Diamondbacks. I, I think two is maybe a more realistic guess. Yeah, I agree with that. I... Moore has been good lately, but I have a real hard time picking him in any start. I just yeah. don't know that he's going to keep that going. You're right. Noah has been hot and cold, hot and cold, hot and cold. You don't know which Noah's going to show up. I agree with you. I think Gibson's going to win that game. Suarez Bumgarner. Here's the thing, Jason. Bumgarner has been really good since he came back off the IL. I think he had one. I think he had one rough start right after he came off. And then he's been pretty solid since then. So I think especially, and I'm worried a little bit about Suarez versus the Rays as well, just because he's not stretched out to go deep. And the Rays have the kind of lineup that just grinds a bullpen to smithereens if they have to pitch extended innings. Right. I'm uh, pretty pretty high on the Phillies this week. I think they're going to go 5-1. I think they're going to sweep the series against Arizona. So, Joe, I will Gladly lose a perfect week if it means that you that you get that four no correct. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you know we can't. I think underplay the Hoskins factor here for for Philly. We can't underplay the fact that they're playing at home where they're much better. I, I think it could be a good week for them. Yeah, and it, it'll be a week that they need. Yeah, absolutely. Especially after that uh, absolute mess in Arizona last week. Yes, the Phillies need to turn around and at least split split but they need to do better than that yep all right so series i'm looking forward to this week um i had three in the first half of the week mariners at a's giants at mets and dodgers at padres giants at mets primarily because i want to see what the giants are doing on the east coast and then uh, in the second half of the week i'm looking forward to watching yankees at a's how about you jason for me, I'm mainly division watching this week, especially the the, the Braves series between between the Yankees series and the Giants series. It it's a huge week for the Braves it, for them to try and maintain their lead. I, I mean, it seems like that they're going to drop down to four and a half up at the moment. So scheduling wise, we potentially have a completely different outcome for the standings at by the end of this week. Yeah, and, you know, it's like I said, it's the NL East, I said this, what, two, three weeks ago even, 
the NL East is probably going to be changing the leader a few t- potentially a few times before the end of the year between the Braves and the Phillies. I think you yeah. and I are pretty safe to say the Mets I don't want to say they're out because they're not out yet, but if that hitting doesn't wake up, and that said, Pete Alonso had a pretty solid week last week, so he's coming out of a slump, which will help. But the Mets, if Alonso and Baez don't get hot and charge the rest of that lineup up, I don't see them doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm too watching the NL East quite a bit. I think uh, it'd be nice to watch some, some Bryant games in, in New York, Bryant and Baez. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some pictures and stuff floating around from that, but um, the Mets—it's just—you just don't know if Lindor is going to be enough for them. Uh, I do know that I've, I've read that Javi's been taking some some ground balls at second, so I think when Lindor does come back, he'll go to second, and Lindor will be at third or short rather, Alonso at first. And whoever they decide to put at third, I, I, they do have a you know a decent infield. It's just their offense is terrible. Yeah, I agree with that. And here's the th- you know here's the other thing that really strikes me. At this point, the Braves are still the only team in the NL East to positive run differential. Um, the Phillies after this past week they're at negative twenty two. The Mets are at negative twenty four. The Nationals are at negative fifty two. The Marlins at negative thirty five. And I. I, I can't remember where I saw it, but I'm pretty sure I saw that the Mets were in the bottom three, bottom five teams in runs scored in the uh, National League. They're in, they're in the bottom five, bottom three of every major offensive category. I, it's just in the a, National League. It's it's disgusting. Yeah. I mean, Jason and I aren't going to care, but that's not going to get it done. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, and I don't usually look at run differential as a big uh, key stat just because I mean look at the Phillies they're winning close games and getting blown out in their losses so it it's not necessarily indicative of of record or what's going to happen but for the Mets with how high up they were in their run differential to how far below they are now that is a significant jump yeah yeah absolutely all right, let's take a look at Pick'em. Since we, uh, since Jason was on the day-to-day IL last week, we decided to uh, give it a break. So last week, Atlanta had a perfect week. They went 6-0, 3-0, 3-0. Joe and I each picked up a half a point there. Uh, Jason went 4-2, 2-1, 2-1. And, and Joe and I went 2-1, uh, 3-0. So we each picked up a half a point there. Uh, the Cubs last week completely baffled all of us. None of us expected them to do quite that well against the Reds. Uh, me and Joe predicted 0-3, and, and Jason predicted 1-2, and, and they actually went 2-1 and one instead. And then we all predicted that they go 1-2 and two and at least take one from the Royals, and they decided to say, nah, we'd rather get swept. So nobody got any points from the Cubs last week. The Phillies also decided to throw a complete monkey wrench in all of our plans. Uh, me and Joe predicted that the Phillies would sweep the Diamondbacks, and Jason predicted 2-1. and one. None of us predicted a 0-3 sweep for the Diamondbacks. And then we all predicted that they'd go 1-2 and two in San Diego, and they went 2-1. and one. So the Phillies once netted no points for anybody last week as well. Our wildcard team last week was Boston, and Boston ended up getting swept by the Yankees, which none of us predicted, but then we all correctly predicted the second half of the week when they went 2-1. Uh, so we each picked up a half point there. 
the overall team standings, and these have changed a little bit since the last time I uh, revealed them because I finally had a chance to go back and uh, reconcile all of the rainouts that turned into double headers and moved things back around. So the current standings are in first place, Jason at 32.5, in second place, Joe at 30.5, and, and I'm right behind him at 29.5 points. So Pick'em is probably going to be pretty tight going here on out. Um, as we've seen, a perfect week can really throw things off. And uh, we actually didn't have too many picks that were all the same this week, I don't believe. So. Yeah. Those, uh, those fill-in uh, weeks from all the rainouts definitely helped Joe a lot. Wow. Yeah, Joe picked up a perfect week in those rainouts. So he, yeah, he had the biggest benefit from all of those pickups by far. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. <laughs> so true, so true. All right, guys, you can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spreaker. Follow us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash dollardogsandbeer. On our Twitter page, at dollardogsandbeer. You can find us on Twitter, Andrews at Pyrolord314, Jason at J-R-I-E-K-E-R-300, and Joe at JoltonJoe35. We are presented by Dark Arrow Podcast, LLC. May your dogs always cost a dollar. May your beer always be cold. Have a good night, everybody.